In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to my Partner Up with Amy Carroll podcast series. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the September episode of my podcast series. And if you want to find out more about me or my previous guests, feel free to listen to the previous episodes either on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to the voiceamerica.com business channel. And you can download the app or just tune in using your favorite podcast app. If by chance you missed last month's podcast, I interviewed Anne Ravenona. Anne and I discussed her quest to get 1 million female founders funded. (laughs) That's not easy to say and probably not so easy to do. And we also talked about how being a female founder, entrepreneur, and getting funded is still a challenge, unbelievably still in 2022. You'll find that interview on the business channel of Voice America, Partner Up with Amy Carroll, the August episode. And the title is surprisingly called The Quest to Get 1 Million Female Founders Funded. Or you can check it out on my YouTube channel, Amy Carroll Coaching. Just type in Anne Ravenona, and that's Anne with an E. Now, today, my guest is Stefan Wiedner. Stefan, welcome. Thank you for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure. So I want to, before we dive in, Stefan, I want to give the listeners a little background as to who you are and your, what you bring to the conversation, because I think it's going to really make them want to listen up even more. So listeners, Stefan is a psychological safety expert whose career has been focused on developing sustainable, high performance leaders, teams, and organizations. His passion for unleashing the collective potential of people has led him to co-found Numi.com, and that's spelled N-O-O-M-I-I. This is the web's largest network of independent life coaches. He's also co-founded Skillsetter, which is the .com, which is the deliberate practice platform for interpersonal skills, which is very cool, Stefan. And then, and I, and I hope you'll say more about each one of these websites later. Um, the third one is Zerango.com, which is the psychological safety training experts for training experts, I I, I assume. So I want you to expand when you're ready on that. So before I let you to start talking yet, more for the listeners. Stefan's been a guest speaker for ActTech, Magi, Marketing Impact Council, and many other audiences who are interested in a combination of psychology, business, and technology. His writings have been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and other popular publications. He's married with two kitties, gets his, en- his energy from hiking, biking, camping, and reading. Um, I have to ask first, how old are your kids? My kids are teenagers. I've got a 13 and 16-year-old. So my son is 16 and my daughter's 13. And do you find yourself using these skills on your kids? Oh, 100%. <laughs> All <Okay>. the time. <laughs> I think the listeners are going to want to hear about that too. <laughs> <laughs> For so, sure. So I want to start off with a, a question to level the playing field. So um, listeners and myself, we're all on the same page as you. Because one of your main areas of focus is psychological safety, 
Before we dive in, why don't you give me your definition of psychological safety? Sure. So I'll give you a couple definitions. Uh, uh, Perhaps the more um, recognized one in publications is the belief. So psychological safety, safety is the belief that within your team or within your work environment, you can speak up, say what's on your mind, express concerns without the fear of reprimand. Okay, and, let's pause for a second. Yep. It, you hear that and you think, well, yeah, why not? And yet, there's so many places it doesn't exist. And I know even for me, who I consider myself an extrovert and very confident and assertive and got my boundaries, even for someone like me, I've been in many a places where that was not the norm. So let me hear it one more time, Stefan. The belief that you could speak your mind. That's right. The belief that you can express concerns, mistakes, ideas, etc., without the fear of reprimand. Now, this is, as you mentioned, you're extroverted, you're, you, you're, you're knowledgeable in the space of communication, etc. And what happens so often is individuals don't speak up and they don't even really notice that they're not speaking up. Like it's yeah. just our natural protective mechanism at work because we could probably all relate to being in a, let's say in a business meeting or a classroom and you, you want to put your hand up, you want to ask a question, but you don't. And why is that? You know, why don't you stick your hand up? And it's because you don't want to seem like you don't know what you're talking about, right? Maybe you're going to ask a quote unquote stupid question. So everybody's going to think you're less intelligent. Or maybe you don't want to come across as someone who is goes against the grain because maybe what yeah. you're going to ask or suggest is different from everybody else. And so you don't want to be perceived as that person. If this all happens all the time. Maybe it's on the bus. Maybe it's in a work meeting. Yeah. Maybe it's with your kids. You just bite your tongue yeah. and you don't even know that it's happening. So yeah. it's a it's it's a pervasive uh, concept that I think is so powerful when harnessed really well. So when psychological safety is harnessed really well. Now we have uh, our our own definition. Oh, sorry, I'm going to stop there because I think you have Thanks. a question or a comment. Yeah, yeah. So um, when you say the risk of reprimand, as I'm listening to you now, I'm realizing reprimand is much more global than just the boss saying, "Amy, you, you know that's not your place." It's also that fear of judgment and embarrassment. And so there, so I can see how um, you're expanding this even beyond my consciousness of what how I perceived it. Okay, great. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's bang on, right? So yes, maybe one form of reprimand is you lose your job. That's an extreme version. A much more subtle and common one is someone might just give you a bit of a stink eye, right. <laughs> for example, right? <laughs> They're just going to look at you kind of like, and mm-hmm. and that's a subtle social interaction that we pick up on as human beings because we're incredibly social and we always want to look good in front of our peers. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Did you, was there anything else you wanted to add to that? But when yeah, I so what I wanted to add was our, our definition. So the de- oh, okay. definition that we use and we use it in our training because I think it's a little bit, it feels a little more actionable, which is psychological safety is the courage to speak up and the confidence to know that you'll be heard. So those two uh, okay, halves okay, we, are We've got to really, pause a second. Yep. The courage to speak up, which is huge. And then that second piece, what a gift the confidence you're going to be heard because there you have less. Well, maybe not though. My perception is I have less control over part B. 
That's right. So what's critical as a leader or manager is that you're creating that environment where people have that uh, present for them all the time where they feel like not only can I speak up, but I'm going to speak up and it's going to be acknowledged. It's going to be appreciated. And there's a core distinction that often we need to make for leaders is it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that everyone else says. It's that you, there's a, there's room for it. There's a place for oppositional points of view, different ideas, et cetera. There's a place for all of that within your work environment. Yeah, I think that's really important for leaders to understand. It's not about having to say yes or agree to everything. Correct. Yeah, and that gives them a lot of freedom. Mm. You know, I know from doing a little bit of background check on you, I see that you have or are currently working with Amy Edmondson. Um, I'd love to hear more about the work you're doing with her or have in the past. Sure. So for those who don't know Amy, she's a professor at Harvard. Uh, She teaches in the school, the MBA program Mm. at Harvard, so Harvard Business School. And she does a bunch of research in this topic of psychological safety. She started her work in the 90s Mm. and has been publishing books. She's written numerous books, probably the uh, the key book on the concept of psychological safety, even though all of her books really relate to it, is the fearless organization that was published in I believe it was 2019. It's called and the Fearless Organization. Correct. Got the it. Fearless okay. Organization. Yeah. Yes. So that that should be a to-do for all of you who are listening. Go get that book. <laughs> yeah. Go read the book. And and um, and so um, she's really keen on obviously all things related to psychological safety. And one of the areas of focus for her is around leaders and what we're seeing more and more in uh in the business world is organizations focusing on hiring and training leaders on soft skills. Mm -hmm. We know fundamentally that soft skills matter, whatever those are, right? I think you probably have an opinion about soft skills, (laughs) Um, you know, communication skills. So they're looking for leaders that have good listening skills, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, the next question is, can those skills be learned? Mm -hmm. Because often we don't think about, skills of communication as being something that you can learn. You either have it or you oh, don't. Oh, interesting. Right? Or um, or we don't think about learning them the same way we would think about learning, say, the piano. Finance. If I told you, hey, Amy, if you want to learn the piano, there's this great book you should get. <laughs> you would know instinctively but that's no way to learn to play the piano. Sure, you may read a book as part of your learning, but ultimately you need to spend time on the keyboard. Right. And not just spend time, but time practicing, learning new skills, making mistakes, adjusting, trying again, hearing feedback, getting input from experts, etc. Right. Like there's this whole process by which you're constantly on your edge of your learning ability and yeah. pushing that up and up and up and up and up. Same concepts can be applied to um interpersonal skills, communication skills. Anyway, coming back to the question, which is Amy Edmondson and the work that we're doing. So yes. what, we're, what we're starting, in fact, today being uh, the beginning of September here, yeah. um, not today, 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 but at, in this month, we are starting a study where we are going to be measuring interpersonal skills of leaders and the psychological safety of their team. So that's the first step is we're trying okay. to see, Baseline. Is, there, is there a correlation between those two factors. Mm. And 
the the how are we measuring those interpersonal skills? This is where um, we're relying on a really clever study conducted by Tim Anderson out of Ohio University back in I think it was two thousand eight, and or maybe even earlier that they initiated the study. the The paper got published in two thousand eight or two thousand nine, and what they did is they tried to assess interpersonal skills of counselors because, as you can appreciate, counselors have really good communication skills. Okay, right. That, right. Their whole job is communicating with a client behind a closed door to help them facilitate outcomes for their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And so we looked at the parallel going, well, cheapers, a leader has to do the same thing. A leader is facilitating outcomes for a group of individuals within a team. And the skills that they need are very similar. And these skills can be measured by, and Tim Anderson did this, Sub subjecting participants in his study to stimulus videos of these engineered environments where interpersonal challenges are very high within counseling. Does that make sense? Say it for me again. I got a little bit lost in it. Yeah, I'll say it again. So they basically took very difficult and challenging moments yep. in counseling, yep. recorded videos with actors yep. depicting those challenging situations, and then they had counselors respond. To those videos okay then coders looked at those recorded responses and and basically highlighted all of the skills that they used and rated okay. their ability to use those skills okay okay wow so they 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 made the the intangible tangible uh-huh so quantified these clear quote-unquote soft skills yep you see in that context. Yeah. And so what we're doing is, and, and they, that assessment, which is a performance-based assessment where you have to perform a task by responding to these challenging moments. Mm. What they, um, um, so we are taking that and we adjusted it. We modified that assessment. It's called the FIS, the facilitative interpersonal skills. And we modified it to create management facilitative interpersonal skills. And so uh -huh. that's what we're assessing for these leaders. And we're looking at very specific skills. If you'd like, there's eight of them that I can mention. Yeah. Um, and before you mention them, my yeah. first question, oh, this will get even more interesting after you mention them, is how did you find the leaders? I, I mean, that's kind of a scary thing to put themselves out there. Yeah. So we went and looked for research sites out in in the world, right? And so we connected with numerous organizations. And one of the, well, uh, uh, one of the research sites that we ended up confirming and working with is they're really keen on psychological safety. They're very interested in the topic. Their CEO is saying psychological safety is hugely important. Mm. So they're, they're really leading from the top down. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when I asked about this research study, they said, yeah, we'd love to have our managers participate. So they're going to have 100, 100 of their managers go through this training. Mm. Um, that's about 20% of their Brave. management population. So that's really fantastic. We're really excited about that. And uh, that's very generous of the organization to yes. be able to provide that to us. And obviously, they get some, you know, they'll we'll provide them with the data, not individual data, but we're looking at aggregate data, right? So right. we're going to be able to give them some input on on the performance of some of their managers and leaders and how that correlates with psychological safety. Mm. So they're really keen and interested. Mm. And they're walking their talk of wanting to grow and develop. And part of that means sometimes receiving input that might not be comfortable or easy to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Tell, them about, tell me about these eight 
categories or qualities. Yeah. So, and I'd love for you to listen to them through the perspective of, do you think these are relevant for managers and leaders within an organization? Okay. Okay. So the first one is verbal fluency. Verbal fluency is how well you communicate and say your words, right? Mm. Um, I, I think that's relevant for managers, right? Very. To be able to be verbally fluent. Yeah. The next is the ability to generate hope and positive expectation. Oh, that is so... Um, I, I, I can almost hear critics, critics thinking, you know, why... Uh, why was, should that be my responsibility? And yet, absolutely, that can con- that would contribute to psychological safety. Absolutely. Wow. And, and keep in mind, what we're doing is we're exposing people to these stimulus videos that are short little snippets of team interactions. Yep. They're maybe 60 seconds long. Somewhere mm-hmm. between 30 and a minute and a half, generally around one minute. Then they're recording a response. Those responses are at most two minutes, mm-hmm. usually about a minute. Mm-hmm. And we have four of these videos. So we have four minutes of data. And with four minutes of data, we're codifying these eight dimensions. And with the FIS, the original study, it was predictive of client outcomes years down the road. So that's really fascinating to me. It's you're thin slicing. You're taking four minutes of live interact. Well, it's of recorded right. interactions, and that's predictive of someone's performance down the road. I find that quite fascinating. Don't you? That is impressive to, for, to be able to, as you said, to quantify it and, and make it that um, tangible mm-hmm. down the road. That's right. And so these skills are demonstrated in very subtle ways. So it's just the way someone says something or the words they use in one sentence yeah. or two sentences. Yep. So that generating hope and positive expectation, it's not like this long six hour thing, you know, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's subtle, it's in the moment and it's happening all the time. Um, so let's move on to the next one. The next one is persuasiveness. Okay. What do you think? Does a leader yeah. need to be persuasive? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and, and what does it mean to be persuasive? Okay. It means to be able to, uh, convince someone else of a diff- an idea or perspective that's not their own. Okay. Pretty straightforward, right? And I think leaders appreciate that. They need to be persuasive. Absolutely. Uh, and again, we're, we're measuring this, we're assessing this in these very subtle, subtle ways. Uh, the next is a emotional expression. So as a communications expert, I'm sure you talk about this a lot, right? How you communicate. It's not just the words, but your yeah, nonverbals exactly. and, you know, how excitable are you? And, and, and it's not always just about positive and excitement. What if someone's telling you their father that j- just died? Right. The empathy. Right? Yeah. Connection. The emp- you you want to regulate your emotion so that it's appropriate for the situation. Yeah. And what we see time and time again is individuals are generally very flat. So they lack emotional expression. It's just yeah. their face is flat, their vo- voice and their tone is flat. And, and so these are skills that they can learn. You know, and yeah, speaking of how they can learn them, um, what's fascinating, because I use a lot of video recording a lot when I'm coaching people, and then I have them watch it sometimes immediately, sometimes before the next session. And the whole idea is to close the gap in how they think they're showing up and how they're actually showing up. And so often they're like, well, I was in a good mood, though I looked like I, you know, my, my, 
my car just got hit or so they're able to see, oh, this what's look what my face is doing, my eyebrows, my mouth, my, the tone of my voice, all those things have such a huge impact on how I'm being perceived. 100 percent. Yeah. And that's what our coders are looking for too. not just the words, but the nonverbals. How do Got you it. come across? What are you portraying mm. with everything? You know, the mm. full 360 and some mm. of us, some folks who, who are listening or watching the video and others are most are probably just listening. So you yeah. they're, they're missing our nonverbals. Truly. But hopefully our tone, our pace, mm-hmm. you know, these are the subtle social cues that people pick up on and they're hearing that in this yeah. call, even if they don't have the visual. Yeah, good point. Okay, what number are we up to now? Okay, number five is acceptance. So how well do you communicate that you're accepting of others for being different, especially Mm -hmm. if they're Mm -hmm. different? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, for those who are really keen on, say, diversity and inclusion and equity, Mm -hmm. this is, uh, I think, a hot topic for for most is how do you portray acceptance? Yeah. And it's easy to be accepting. When you're in the, you know, the sports locker room and everybody looks the same as you and talks the same as you, but when suddenly you have diversity, you have, there's more and more remote teams that have individuals all over the globe. Yeah. We need to be tuned in to how well we demonstrate acceptance for other people, Mm. especially if they are different and hold different perspectives as us. Mm -hmm, Next is empathy. So Empathy is closely tied to acceptance. And I think there's an extra piece there. The empathy is how well do you communicate that you get what those other people, their perspective, right? So it's not enough to say, for example, we see this a lot. People say, oh, I get it. I get it. Stop. What they're saying is stop talking. I I, I want my turn. Right. And they just say, I get it. I get it. However, what is required in an environment where you're really truly demonstrating empathy is you communicate what that person is saying, where they're at emotionally, and what they're trying to convey, and you check in with them. So that these are skills that we help train our individuals in is is being able to say, Oh, I get that you're really frustrated because you're you're hearing conflicting instructions. One person is saying x, the other person is saying y, and that's causing you to be really confused and Mm. frustrated. Did I get that right? Yeah, and that's beautiful. What I and what I'm hearing is some of the work around nonviolent communication and guessing at feelings and needs. And what you just added at the end there, Stefan, when you said, "Did I get that right?" takes you off the hook. You could have been completely off, and it's okay because you still get credit for making an effort. And if you get it wrong, so if I say, "No, I'm actually um, really tired because I didn't sleep last night," then you know, at least I know, oh, he's attempting to understand me and I have a willingness to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where empathy really starts. It's a willingness to put yourself in the other person's perspective. And I think for us, we can teach the skills and the intention is really important, right? Right. Someone needs to have that intention to be willing to be in the other person's perspective. And um, that's usually where we start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right number six i think we're no seven we're on we're on number seven number seven is alliance capacity so what is that that is the ability to form alliances within your team and mm-hmm. recognizing the alliances 
between person B and C kind of thing, or person B and D within your team. Mm. So as a manager or a leader, you need to be highly attuned to what's happening in the room, not but not just your relationship with each of the individuals, but how they relate to one another and any sort of interpersonal dynamics that might be uh, uh, showing up. And it's mm, the ability. Wow. Yes. That, yes. I'm just so, imagining that that's, it's, that that's probably an area where there's certain managers struggle with that. I imagine because it can oh, be a, yeah. not very tangible at first for them. That's right. Um, it, this is, I think the really, uh, very much at the core of what these skills are trying to assess. Mm-hmm. It's really trying to assess, like if we could step back and step away from these eight dimensions that we're talking about, really what we're talking about is the ability of a manager to really be attuned to what's going on in their team environment and then proactively address any interpersonal issues because we're not robots. We as humans, we come with all kinds of uh, social um, needs and we need to, as leaders and managers, really just facilitate for the team to be able to operate at a high level together and produce results. That's what a team has to do. That's it. Yeah. And, and and so as the leader or manager, you need to be that person who's able to approach those challenging and difficult interpersonal interactions. So the first step is being able to form it relationships with folks right. and notice any sort of ruptures that might be happening and be able to be attuned to those. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. And that was that's seven right there. That's number seven. And number eight is... Um, Actually, Stefan, I'm going to build, build a bit of, of tension here, and I'm going to have, have you pause. <laughs> We're going to go into a break, and then when we come back, you'll be able to reveal number eight. Okay. All right, good. So, listeners, if you want to connect with Stefan, you can go directly to his LinkedIn which is S-W-I-E-D-N-E-R. And if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers to the next level, join me for my online leadership presence course. You'll find details on my website, carolcoaching.com. When we come back, we'll be hearing more from Stefan. So stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. 
We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. Now, today, my guest is Stefan Wiedner. So, listeners, we've been discussing Stefan's research project. And if you were listening to the first half, you'll know that he mentioned seven of the eight traits that they're researching and studying. So, Stefan, why don't you jump into number eight for us? Yeah, so number eight is interpersonal responsiveness. So what is that? I think we touched on it a little bit with number seven, number seven being alliance capacity. Well, with number eight, it's that proactive aspect of approaching challenging interpersonal moments in, in, in the moment when they happen. I'll give you um, a, an example or what we see often in yeah. business environments when we're delivering our training is that something might happen within a team setting. So someone says something that's maybe a little bit, you're sitting there going, oh man, I think that was, that was offside. I'm uncomfortable about it. And what people will do is they'll move to take it offline. Yeah, They'll want to hit the pause button. Well, that was totally uncomfortable. And, you know, Nancy, I think we need to talk privately and what happens in that environment? Because we're talking about psychological safety, which is this team construct. What are the other seven people in the room thinking when you say that, right. right? When you say, okay, we need to take this offline. Now they're going, half the room is maybe thinking, well, I didn't think that person said anything offside. The other half is thinking that was totally offside, mm-hmm. right? There's all these different opinions and people are going, what's going to happen? Is it, what's okay for me to say? Can yeah. I not say things like that? Hmm. Right. These are all the little, little doubts that are now occurring in their mind that are affecting their ability to feel like they can have the courage to speak up right. and the confidence to know that they'll be heard. Yeah. So, so what interpersonal responsiveness is all about is that ability within the moment, within a team setting to, to talk about wow. that thing. It's about to have that open conversation yep. in a way that's productive, Yep. which is really critical, right? Because where we often want to go is that avoidance, like, ooh, time out, uh, right. uncomfortable stop right. let's 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 avoid that or we might feel like we need to put someone in the quote-unquote penalty box right like mm. that was offside no good stop mm, mm. that's not necessarily productive either so we try to train and teach people something in between uh what we might call uh we call it calling in so instead of calling out you're calling in and as a leader and manager you're doing so with curiosity you're just saying hey something really awkward happened. I'm reacting this way. How are you all reacting? Can we talk about this? That kind of approach, um, skillful, courageous, right? Courageous, absolutely. Right? There's a degree of courageousness and there's a degree of vulnerability there, right? Because it's, I would say those moments are moments where we as managers and leaders, we don't know what to say. Yep. Right? And so, well, there's a way of saying, something, breaking the ice, acknowledging it without necessarily having to have all the answers. Because as a leader and a manager, you won't necessarily, and you might want to have the courage to say, we need to talk about this. So, Stefan, this is my, you know, that really narrows in on my passion, because I want to be able to help people say what they need to say in a way 
that doesn't damage the relationship and they still speak their truth. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are, and, and I use a, a model uh, where it's really about holding high respect for yourself, high respect for the other, and it's all getting translated through body language, voice, and words and mindset. What are you thinking? What are you feeling when you're approaching that conversation or that situation? So I find, and I've been using myself as a guinea pig for many, many years <laughs> because I used to have, you know, the slash and burn approach. It <laughs> didn't work so well. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. (laughs) And so I've been training myself over the years, and I'm now at a point where I can have those unplanned, unexpected surprise um, exchanges in the moment, not always, so in the moment, um, without a negative result, you know, and usually a positive result. And I see that it takes people a long time to be able to build those skills up to be able to do that. So that's one thing is, that it takes some time to be able to be able to have a level of mastery. And in the meantime, until they're getting good at that, um, do you, what if it's, what if there's a time constraint or there's some reason why, or that the manager doesn't trust themselves to be able to handle it effectively. And so rather than make things worse, um, do you ever recommend a timeout, say, or just a simple thing of, hey, Nancy, um, Jacob, I'm noticing something just happened here. And I think it's important for us, all of us to talk about it. Uh, and I know that um, we have, uh, you know, the, this meeting's ending in 10 minutes, and we won't have the luxury of time to talk about that. Um, I'd like to suggest we find a time in the future, blah, blah, blah. It, what's your recommendation in those kind of moments where there are logistical issues or the manager's not feeling confident in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to happen, right? <laughs> Something, right. someone will drop a comment in the 59th minute of a 60 minute meeting. What do you do about it? And uh, I think what you just, uh, what you just modeled there for us is the skill of what I would argue, what we call reflecting process. So you're reflecting the process, the what's happening on the field, if you will. Okay. Right. So you're now in the stands and you're looking down at the field and you're saying, hey, I'm noticing that there's one minute left on the clock and your team has another 20 yards to go. <laughs> you're only going to have 40. time for one, one more play, you know, kind of thing. So being able to just reflect back what's going on. Hey, folks, I'm noticing the two of you just there's some sort of engagement there. There's tension. I'm not sure what it's all about. I want to shine a light on it and recognize too, that we need to move on because we don't have enough time. How can we wrap this up or follow up with it so that everyone feels complete? So, uh, so that's a legitimate approach. strategy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's what Wonderful. we call reflecting process. I it's, love it's that. A legitimate reflecting skill. process. Yeah. And, and I, because there's very few of us, myself included, still times today, I'm, I don't always trust myself in the moment because my ego has been triggered or I haven't had breakfast or something, some legitimate reason why Amy should not open her mouth. And so um, <laughs> that's great reflecting process. And what that does is it tells the other group, other people in the meeting, what just happened wasn't okay. It needs to get addressed. We're going to address it. Um, it may not get addressed as a group with the whole group 
for an entire thing. Maybe it's just Nancy and Jacob. And then maybe there's a, an acknowledgement in the next team meeting. Hey, we had a chance, you know, Nancy, Jacob and I sat down and um, we've agreed that blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And our training, remember, is all about psychological safety. So we're not just saying learn interpersonal skills. We're saying learn interpersonal skills so that you can foster psychological safety. And psychological safety is measured with seven very easy questions developed by Amy Edmondson. Oh, yeah, let's hear those. Yeah. Uh, so one of those questions, the ones that I want to one I want to highlight okay. on uh, in this particular moment is the one about being able to approach challenging topics. So it is, I'm going to read you the wording. I have it right here. Members of this team are able to bring up problems and tough issues. So to what degree is that true? If you make a process comment, hey, I'm noticing Jack and Nancy, the two of you seem to be warring here. Uh, I'm noticing the time. I don't think we're going to be able to address it today. How can we bring this, bring some closure to this um, debate or discussion that we've been having? Right. That's you're acknowledging it. You're not pretending like it didn't happen. You're acknowledging it. And you're able to say, how can we address this specific issue in the future? I think that's a reflection of being able to approach tough issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that interpersonal responsiveness. Wow, that's wonderful. So I'm I'm so excited to hear this work that you're doing with her. And congratulations. It just sounds like an amazing project. Mm. You know, I want to maybe backtrack uh, with a few more mundane questions, Stefan, though, and I, I want to give you every chance to respond to any of them. You know, the one question was about the connection between communication skills and psychological safety. Was there anything else you wanted to say about that? I think we already covered it, but I want to just summarize because I okay. think it, uh, we talked about it, but perhaps a little bit more at length than <laughs> we needed to. Our study, what we're looking at is a correlation between interpersonal skills, which we're measuring with these stimulus and response videos. So you, we have a stimulus video and people respond. So we got this four minute body of a video for which we're assessing someone's ability to interact, not just on everyday easy communication challenges, but on challenging difficult ones. Right. And, and so, <laughs> so it's like testing people when the, when the stakes are high. And we're going to correlate that with psychological safety. That's what the, the the study is doing. We're seeing, does one correlate with the other? So if someone has a high level of skills, do they tend to have a high level of psychological safety? So that's the first thing we need to do. Now, mm-hmm. provided that our study will p- provide some fruitful responses or fruitful um, uh, data, that there is a correlation between those two things, the next thing we want to be able to do is, is demonstrate causation. So correlation is okay. level one. Causation is number two. So Ooh, can you, you give me a concrete? Thing? Yeah, explain the difference and then give me a concrete, uh, juicy example, because this is interesting to me. Yeah. So I'm um, trying to think of a good one. So obviously, uh, there's a correlation between how much money people spend on uh, lemonade when the weather's hot. So the hotter the temperature, <laughs> more more lemonade. So there's obviously a correlation there, um, but is it a causation? So when the temperature rises, do people uh, does that lead to people um, buying more lemonade? Oh, I thought you were going to say, it- does buying a lot of lemonade cause the temperature rise? So I would have been like, Stefan, even I know that. One. <laughs> 
that, that, that's right, right? And often- I'm that clever. <laughs> right, we, that is obvious, right? And, and, and often in the social sciences, it's not clear which way the causation goes. I'll give you a better example. Yeah, in, in, around in communication. Of, well, the, the one I'm thinking of is, yeah, it is around communication. Uh, there's studies in positive psychology. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that field. And what uh, this one study looked at was um, positivity, general positivity within uh, sales managers or sales, yep. not managers, but salespeople. Yep. And then how much th- they sold. Okay. And the, I think the, the early prevailing thought was in your career in general, you work hard, you get results, and then you're happy. And what the, the, their, their research findings kind of flip things on their head. And we, they realized, oh, people who are happy tend to get better sales because they're more positive, they're more enthusiastic, they're more energetic. It's not the other way around. You, right. It's not that you produce the results and then you get happy. It's that right. those who are happy produce better results. Yep. So that was an interesting one where the causation was really unknown. There was correlation there. Sure, we know that we knew that producing results and happiness tend to correlate, but mm-hmm. was there causation? Mm-hmm. See the mm-hmm. difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Um, you talk about soft skills being a poor label for soft skills. <laughs> Say more about that. Yeah, well, as I said with the study, we have, we're developing this assessment. We've developed this assessment called the Management Facilitative Interpersonal Skills, building off of a previous assessment called the FIS, the Facilitative Interpersonal Skills. So we're just taking a, a, an assessment, modifying it for a business environment, and it, we're concretizing those intangibles. So persuasiveness, empathy, you know, these are deemed kind of soft skills, your ability to listen, et cetera. Those are quote unquote soft skills. I just think that's a bad label because yeah. we can concretize them. We can evaluate them and assess them mm-hmm. and say, this person's in the top 25 percentile and this person's in the bottom 25 percentile. Yeah. So that's what our work is really aiming to do, to really concretize those quote unquote, soft skills. So I well, think, therefore, the label soft skills is, yeah. is, is a misnomer. I think it's a misnomer also because of what you said earlier, that you're also making the connection to the um, concrete results that occur when they have the high level of those soft skills, for example. That's you know? right. And um, that's pretty tangible. Right. When we, and we could probably measure other soft skills, and they won't necessarily correlate with psychological safety mm-hmm. or outcomes. And so mm-hmm. we're really keen and interested on that mm-hmm. as really looking at the right skills. And okay. we think we've got the right skills. We still have to do all this research. There's good evidence from previous studies in a different domain that suggests we're, we're barking up the right tree. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's an empirical question. So let's ask the question and let's find the answer by <laughs> conducting research around it. So that's yeah. what we're doing. You know, you have one of these websites called skillsetters.com for teaching interpersonal skills. And you have this term called deliberate practice, which I suspect I want to find out what it is because it's that terminology is very appealing to me. How can deliberate practice be applied to communication skills? Yeah, so. Thank you for asking that question. I think it's a really great question because we often think uh, it's intuitive to us if I said, hey, Carol, you know what? You can learn to 
uh, Amy, I did trust this me. Before. My friends. So- <laughs> oh no, I mispronounced your na- your last name, so I think it's, we're even, one for one. <laughs> we're even. Okay, okay, I'll get it right from now on. Andrea, <laughs> no, <laughs> Amy. Um, so we intuitively know that you can't learn to play the piano by reading a book, and yet when it comes to interpersonal skills, there's all these leadership books and podcasts that you can listen to. All are great. I'm not discounting the value of books and knowledge. And I'm not discounting the value of uh, uh, ways to absorb that knowledge, whether it's through podcasts and other forms, videos, et cetera. All are valuable. But what's missing is that practice component, right? You know that to learn how to play the piano, you have to spend time on that keyboard. And there's a bunch of principles that have become well-known within not just music, not just within sports, but in other psychological uh, endeavors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the person we've looked to for understanding what the core principles of deliberate practice are is Anders Ericsson. He wrote the book Peak. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name, but that's yes. another book. We talked about the fearless organization, Amy Emmonson's book. This is a second one that everybody should read. It's okay. Peak, How to be great at anything or something like that. There's like kind of a subtitle. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's called Peak by Anders Ericsson. Okay. He unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, but his work lives on to this day. And what he's identified is that within uh, these skills, for example, there's, uh, there's about a half a dozen core principles. One of those principles is that you need to get feedback. And because ultimately what deliberate practice is, is about trying something, getting feedback, adjusting, trying again and rinse and repeat, right? It's like the agile methodology over and over again. Uh, Agile came about 20, 25 years ago as a response to this waterfall approach of project management, right? Waterfall was you sort of design everything, then you build it and now you have a final product and that takes you a year. But meanwhile, there's been no iteration, right? right? So in uh, agile, you have a lot of iteration. Well, the same thing applies here. You want to iterate all the time so that you're improving your skills. Another core principle with deliberate practice is that you're on your edge of your ability. Mm. So, um, you know, this one study uh, that really opened the door for Anders Ericsson is he had an individual on campus, right? He was conducting this research project on a university campus and he found some student and he said, you're going to come into my office and every day, uh, no, I think it was once a week, every week for a certain number of weeks. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to present you with a a list of random numbers. So they started with, I think, five. So let's say the numbers were one, eight, seven, six, and two. Now you, being the participant in the study, need to tell those numbers back to me. And every time you got it right, we increased the numbers by one. Mm -hmm. So you went from five to six, then seven, then eight. And he wanted to see how high, how many numbers could this person memorize in the spot on the moment? And he got up to something like 80. And every time he couldn't, so let's say he got up to 10 numbers and uh, he, he listed off 10 random numbers and the individual recited them back but made a mistake, then they yeah. dropped back down to eight. Okay. So do you, do you see how it's, they're increasing the, the, the difficulty level by one every time they get it right? And when they get it wrong, they dial it back by two. Nice. Right? Okay. So that's one way to sort of stay on your edge of your ability. Uh-huh. And he, this particular individual, he would get to say a dozen. And then for three weeks, he couldn't get past a dozen. And then suddenly he come into the office and he can get to 18. Mm-hmm. Because what was he doing? He was like, he was 
processing the information and how do I save these numbers in my head? And that's ultimately really what you have to do. You have to save in the short term these memories by associating them with long-term memories. Mm-hmm. And, and so he had a mental model around it and he had to adjust that mental model as it got more and more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Think of chess. When you learn to play chess, at first, you just learn which direction all the players can move, right? right? All, the little, all the little characters and pieces on the board. But then eventually, it becomes much more sophisticated the way you think about the game. It's you, you know, you're thinking about defense and offense and which strategy you want to use. Whereas for someone who's six years old and just learning for the first time, they just know the horsey guy jumps up and to the left or yeah. up and to the right, right? You know, and the queen can go in any direction she wants. So... Um, uh, these are some of the core principles. You're on the edge okay. of your ability. You're using mental representations or mental models yeah. to make sure you understand. And those mental models change over time yeah. as you progress and get better and better and better. And um, and that you're uh, getting input from a coach, right? You're getting accurate feedback in yeah. a timely manner. Yeah. That yeah. is something that is so often missing with our communication yes. skills. We're not yeah. getting that feedback, yeah. right? Um and so does that help you understand that what does. the concept of deliberate practice is? It's also giving me two things, encouraging me to see that the approach I use is, is can be very effective because even though it's quite obnoxious, I stop someone very quickly and have them correct because we close that gap of how long time, how much time it takes for them to improve the skill. Um, nonetheless, this keeping them on the edge, I'm going to think more about how I can help them to see because sometimes um, I'm pushing them a little bit too much. So mm. I keep, I might symbolically keep adding numbers when I need to, you know, maintain where they're at and until mm. they get to the next point. And I just had a yeah. really rewarding experience yesterday. I met with a coachee who I hadn't seen in many months and she, there was this leap in her integration of the skills because over those months we weren't meeting, she was practicing on her own. So it was very encouraging. That's so exciting. And why, you know, why do you need to be on their ed- edge? Because if it's too easy, what happens? You get bored. bored. Yeah. And if it's too hard, you get demotivated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so finding that right balance is challenging. Stefan, we are just about out of time. And before I let you go, I want to ask you one more question, though, if you can give me a laser answer, because I have a few things to say before um, we complete what is, for me, I'm curious to know, what do you think is the biggest mistake leaders make when they think about communication skills? Well, we touched on it earlier and, it, and it's worth saying again, especially around interpersonal skills, communication skills around psychological safety. Remember the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. Yep. What we see is that managers and leaders think that by acknowledging others and giving them the room to speak up, what they're doing is they're having to agree with them. And that is not the case. Nice. Right. So really it's clarify. not the case. Yeah, absolutely. Just clarifying that giving someone the space to say what they need to say, you acknowledging it doesn't mean you have to agree with it. And in fact, um, conflict in the means of debate mm. is healthy. That's, yes. healthy. That's a good thing. Because if in your environment, everybody's polite and gets along, the keyword there being polite, that's not a high performance environment, <laughs> no. right? That's no. that's an environment where everybody is just saying the right thing to make sure the boss is happy. Yeah. Yeah. So as we wrap up, Stefan, what is one, and I know you might have several, you mentioned one, what's one call for action that you have for yeah, listeners? Yeah. So 
I want to invite people to measure psychological safety in their team. Quit being, you know, hopefully during this call, they've been scratching their head going, gee, I wonder what level of psychological safety my team feels. And then how can they do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So go to my website, zarango.com. So it's C-A-R-A-N-G-O.com forward slash free PSI, free PSI. So PSI stands for psychological safety index. Awesome. Yeah. So go ahead, fill out the form. You'll get in touch with me. We'll measure the psychological safety of your team. It's on me. And um, I want to, I want this for everyone. <laughs> oh, wow. That's very generous of you. Very, very cool. Stefan, from my side, I say one of my call for actions is I'm now inspired to read Amy Edmondson's book, Fearless Organization. So thank you for that gift. And also Peak is also quite interesting to me. And listeners, my second call for action is to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and successes via email or social media. I'll read them and discuss them on future shows and make suggestions. And you can drop me an email at amy at carolcoaching.com. So if you want to connect with Stefan, remember, you can go to his LinkedIn profile, S-W-I-E-D-N-E-R, or any of his websites, Numi.com, skillsetter.com, or zarango.com. And listeners, be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up, and be inspired next month because I'll be chatting with Talitha V, my colleague and friend. We're going to be inspiring you with some of the brilliant books that we believe will boost your partner powers and how partner skills can change your life. Check out my website for more information, carolcoaching.com, or check, you feel free to connect with me on social media, Amy Carol Coaching. Stefan, thank you. This has been a lovely, delightful, and um, inspiring conversation for me. Amy, it's a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up in Action, or part, let me try that again, Partner in Action podcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.